Hey, hey, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. A couple weeks ago, music history was made when Beyonce took home the Grammy for Best Dance and Electronic Album. Thank you so much. I'm trying not to be too emotional. She became the first Black woman ever to receive the award. Which is funny because Beyonce's renaissance was an homage to the massive Black queer contributions to dance music. I'd like to thank the queer community for your love and for inventing this genre. Thank you. If Beyonce was drawing from the past, my guest today, Kalela, is charting dance music's Black queer future. Black people know that that's their music, that that's us. Kalela released her last album, Take Me Apart, in 2017. But over the past six years, she never disappeared from the dance floor. That's because her sound had a seismic influence on electronic music. And for years, her music has been a staple of underground dance parties around the world. Now Kalela is back with a new album called Raven, which once again remakes dance music in her image. You know, I've always felt that your music, you know, people always use that phrase, like ahead of the curve, ahead of its time, rather. Um, And I always think that phrase puts whatever they're discussing out of step with time. Mm -hmm. I have felt more so that your music is about pulling us into the future. What future are you imagining when you make music and whose future is it? I guess for me, that future is one where, where the work that we're doing, especially as Black femmes and non-binary people is acknowledged, recognized, and who are doing this sort of emotional work and leading with tenderness and vulnerability while also being treated like Hmm. That's just a thing, a pattern that I see happening throughout the world <laughs> it's like across culture literally cross cultural like yeah. just everywhere all the time and i guess i wanted this to be the soundtrack to that work raven is all about liberation from what We'll get into that, but to tease you just a little bit, it has something to do with the push and pull of emotional labor marginalized people have to put in every day. And you can hear that as Kalela shifts in and out of thumping dance beats into watery, wet ambiance. Today, we're soaking up Kalela's future. One where Black queer people like herself are raving at the front of the dance floor and where liberation for these folks is created not just by themselves, but by those who profess to love them. After a quick break. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When you plan your celebration of life in advance, it becomes a gift from you to your family, because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. With Dignity Memorial Providers, you can pre-plan every detail to give your family and yourself valuable peace of mind, knowing that everything will be taken care of with professionalism, compassion, 
and attention to detail that is second to none. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. Kalela, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a real pleasure to be here. I've been listening for a long time, and yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> listening to it what for a long time? It's been a minute. What? I mean, <laughs> you blow my I mind. I mean, I you know, it's like I haven't listened to every episode, but I I have. No, I know. Look, my mama hasn't listened to every episode. It's really cool to be part of the <laughs> legacy, girl. Come on. Oh, it's cute. You know, I've read that you know any underground black queer dance party, they'll play your music. I wonder what is it like for you to see black femme people up at the front of your party or on a dance floor dancing to the music that you made for them? I couldn't ask for more, to be honest. It really hits the spot because also there's a feeling of security. It it builds inside me when I'm throwing out like many different references, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. within the same track, even sometimes moving between two different sounds. Right. I think about queer black femmes and non-binary people who can't lean into mm, masculinity, maleness, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that intersecting experience makes it so that you understand a lot of different references. Mm. But you feel like the people that you're making the music for are able to ride with you through all of the contours of what you created. Period. That is essentially what I'm saying. And Hmm. yeah, I would say the people that are reliably front and center, you know, at the shows and (laughs) the ones who are screaming the lyrics in front of the DJ booth are people who are dealing with that intersecting experience. Um, And Hmm. that is just a beautiful thing to kind of like not, to not like dictate that literally, but Mm -hmm. to have intention and then it kind of manifests in front of you that way is really, is really beautiful. Absolutely. Is there a moment that sticks out in your mind where you saw people like just totally getting your music and being taken over by your music and dancing and you were like, yes, like this is the future I want. This is the future I am always creating into. The times that I can think about that, it's it's when it's happened um, in the club and I'm hearing an edit that a DJ made. Ooh. The way that I've heard my voice recontextualize um, Mm. in the club, you know, I'll be listening to the beginning of a beat. And I remember there was one in particular, Total Freedom, who saw what I was doing and and really just like, I felt seen by. He played, um, you know, this Rick Ross, Got It, you know, that Got It beat. (laughs) Okay, so he did an edit. That is um, one of my songs called Enemy. So you put this enemy Mm -hmm. vocal over the Got It beat. So I heard this thing. I thought we were about to listen to Got It. And then it's it's like the beginning of that beat. And it's like, you're all up on me now that you're my enemy. You're all up on me now that you're my enemy. Hearing that over that beat, I'm screaming and I'm, I'm running to the DJ booth. And I'm like, what is your problem? (laughs) What is wrong with you? You are not well. (laughs) Don't know how to get it through you. Yeah, it's just a very exhilarating experience to hear yourself contextualize and recontextualize. And that's just a very beautiful Black tradition. You know, people might reduce it to 
editing and, and remixing, but really we're talking about arrangement where people are using the tools that they have available to recreate something, to make something feel new. And that's just something I love being a part of. I want to talk about this album. You know, it, it makes sense that, you know, when you talk about, I don't know, just feeling um, free, you talk about feeling like um, you're so excited to release this new music into this sort of new moment that we're in, 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 in Black music in general. Um, you know, even when you talk about just the freedom that you're trying to offer your, you know, the audience that you really want to speak to the most, like Black, queer, femme people, it makes so much sense because at the heart of your new project, Raven, is this idea of liberation and feeling free. 100%. And on the title track, Raven, you sing, over the line, leave it all tonight, over the line, closer to what I need tonight. And that gives way to this like dark club beat. Period. It caught me a little off guard when I was listening to the album all the way through the first time um, in a good way. It caught me off guard in a good way. But what liberation have you found for yourself in making the music on this album? You know, when I first started working on this record, I didn't know like the sound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what I did know was that I wanted to use this process to feel good with myself, like to build my confidence. And when I think about the liberation that it's provided me, it's it's through that practice of editing myself less. Mm. It's through working with other black and brown producers especially Black femmes. Mm. So there's a lot of liberation in sharing that labor, in making it not just my job to, you know, to do the liberating. Much of your new album, it reads as a breakup album. Yeah. Who are you breaking up with? <laughs> because I suspect, I suspect there could be someone in your life or was someone in your life, but I wonder if it's also like a breakup album with I don't know, on some levels, cis men, on some levels, anybody who is say that. Period. Bring <laughs> just bringing just making this hard for us. Making this harder than it already <laughs> is. One thing I'll say is that it doesn't articulate anything around any um, singular relationship. Mm -hmm. There's three people or two or three people that I'm able to evoke on this record. I wasn't in an official relationship with any of them. I even dealt with somebody last fall who displayed some of the same things. And I told him, 
you're going to think that I wrote the the songs about you. <laughs> but I didn't know you when I wrote the songs, but they apply. But what we're talking mm-hmm. about is a dynamic, right? Where I'm having to deal with an emotional stuntedness, male stoicism. And I, you know, when I finished writing the record, I remember feeling and looking back being like, ooh, do I sound like a bag? Do I sound like a bag? And I remember being critical of myself at first. Then I quickly stepped away from that because I was like, actually, hell no. Like, that is what patriarchy would have you think if you're critiquing that, you know? But the real dynamic Mm -hmm. that I'm challenging is this this one where you are um, being really stoic in the face of vulnerability, you're kind of faking a little bit. Like I'm being really tender right now mm-hmm. and welcoming still, but you are being weird. You know, you are being weird right now. And the withholding is kind of what I'm speaking to. And it's kind of, it's interesting because I'm not speaking to a singular relationship and I wasn't in an official relationship to even break up. Right. So it's not a breakup record in that sense, but I did have some friendship mm-hmm. breakups And I did have to draw some boundaries. And I think that what you're hearing and the way that I would frame it is it's a boundary setting record. Mm. I've always led with a certain amount of vulnerability and tenderness in my work. Mm -hmm. But I think now the difference with this record is that there's you're hearing boundary setting happening at the same time. Well, I mean, what is setting a boundary but being gentle toward yourself? Exactly. And making room for your real experience and being honest about it. If you've ever struggled with creating a boundary, Kalela's got some advice for you. Coming up, she writes a letter to break up with the people in her life that don't work toward her liberation. We'll be right back. Okay, before we get back into it with Kalela, I've got a little backstory for you. In 2019, Kalela was bold. She wrote a searing letter to her friends, family, and colleagues. And in it, she laid out how some of these relationships needed to change in order for her to feel supported as a queer Black femme. After she sent it, she lost some friends and ended some contracts early. But for her, it was clarifying. In that letter, what I was saying actually um, was more, I was sharing with them what I have been experiencing. So it, you know, it presented some solutions and some things that I need them to, to do in order to make it safe for me. But for the most part, the letter was articulating like the time the ways that I've been experiencing marginalization, um, you know, in their company or with their company. And then, you know, towards the end, it's like, you know, this is what I, I need to have a conversation with you in order to make this feel different. And I got, you know, some really good responses. One of the most humane things is like being able to to leave agreements that don't work. This is, this is not a good place for me. This is like a good place for somebody else, you know. So I wanted to make that clear. And then, you know, the primer is where I really go into, which I did not share with all of those people. I I shared the primer with my close team, you know, after that, who are actually going to be advocating for me on this record. This primer included readings on radical Black feminism, along with Kalela's notes. 
Everything from Candace Williams' Reader on Misogynoir to a popular article titled Straight Black Men Are the White People of Black People and The Will to Change by Bell Hooks. So I think all around, I've just wanted this process, you know, like not just not just the release, which I think is where a lot of artists are encouraged to focus. It's just the release, like getting it to your audience, no matter how, which way you get it to them, no matter how, which way mm. you make it, no matter what you do, just get it to them. And then that's when the liberation starts, when you start to share with your audience. And that's not, for me, I wanted to make sure that the liberating experience has already happened while I'm making. There's a lot of liberation in sharing that labor, in making it not just my job to, you know, to do the liberating. You want to be in community of people and have it not be all on yes, your shoulders. Yes, there's a lot of white people who advocate for me. You know, there's a lot of men who have to do that as well. And I didn't want it to be a thing where I'm like, I'm telling them this is the framework of understanding. I wanted to be like, you guys, you guys read that and engage that. And, and then you'll understand intimately, not only will it help you advocate for me, but let's even more importantly, it will help you be a better person in this world. It will help you be more in Mm. touch with not just me, but other marginalized people that you are around. There's a lot of baptism imagery in this album from the album cover, which shows, you know, the rest of you submerged below water and we just see your face above the surface. Um, you repeatedly return to the phrase washed away. There are aquatic sounds throughout and 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 even, you know, talking about floating down a river, like it's in the lyricism, it's in the imagery. You have said that Black dance music is a, quote, healing knowledge. What comes after this kind of baptism and healing? I sort of started moving towards this thread Mm -hmm. when I sang Washed Away over the, the first track. I know that from this moment, I won't need a break in the way that I needed a break before. Mm, yeah. Setting boundaries, um, like for the first time, is really hard. You know, like obviously <laughs> it's not the first, first time, but I would say like I think I was getting into boundary setting in 2019. Yeah. There wasn't enough context for what I was trying to do. And it's not until 2020 where I felt like the world changed around me. And it was like, no, now you can't. Now, now everybody understands what boundaries are. And now it's like acceptable, socially acceptable to be like, I have had enough. Thank you so much. Like, I am not doing this with you anymore. It has to be different in order for us to move forward. And that's something I think I want to give permission to my audience to do that. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, it's more like I want to affirm the boundary setting that I feel like marginalized Black femmes and non-binary people are already setting right now. And the liberation that follows is what we're after. We're, we're after less stress. It's really yes. simple. Like, I'm not, it's nothing crazy. It's just like, I would like to mm, feel cared for regularly. I would like to 
not try to swallow things that I've grown, grown accustomed to swallowing. If I'm struggling, I want the people around me to know that that's what's happening, you know, um, to share the burden, you know, and I feel like all of the things that I've been describing in terms of how I changed my practice or how I was trying to liberate myself through this process is available to all of us. And I think it's not about flipping tables, right? But it is, sometimes we need to flip a table. I feel like sometimes you need a little cookie line. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's appropriate, (laughs) but I, I, it's not a, it's not that we want to be doing that every day. We want it to be so that everyone in the world understands and has more compassion for this experience. Well, Kalala, thank you so, so much for joining me today. You are fantastic. Uh, We are excited about the album. Thank you so much for your support. I really um, appreciate it. I'm so excited to share. I'm excited for those club moments, and I'm excited for those, like, bedroom car moments as well, for people to have this sort of intimate experience with themselves and the record. That was Kalella. Her new album, Raven, is out now. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. It was produced and edited by Jessica Mendoza. Our intern is Jamal Michelle. It was edited by Jessica Placek. Engineering support came from Brian Jarbo. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's our show for today. I'm Brittany Luce. See you next week for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR.